This podcast was produced and recorded in the studios of Cairns FM 89.1. This is The Evolution of Intimacy with Ella Shannon, a show about sex, relationships, and everything in between. You can start to feel bliss while you're vacuuming. I don't know if I've tried that or not. Do I want to try it? What is it? Very complex, very interesting. Flogging, whipping, caning. So there I was in my high heels and my little dress. So it is purely a stigma. Healthy sexual expression with other humans. I went to the local women's health centre and went, I think I'm a lesbian, is there a support group? They don't know quite how to talk about it. It's actually a core skill in relationships. That has always worked for me. My guest today on Evolution of Intimacy is Anissa. She's a clinical sexologist based in South Australia and she's the director of Relate Sexology and also the president of the Society of Australian Sexologists in South Australia. Today she's offered to discuss the topic of multi-partnered relationships. Welcome Anissa. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Emma. Yeah, I'm excited for us to have a talk. So I'm curious to hear about multi-partnered relationships. What are some of the types of relationships? How do they differ from... Um, so I guess before we start or talk about the structure, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the assumption that we have when we talk about multi-partnered relationships or Another term that is used is consensual non-monogamy. And so the assumption that most of the time we have is that most relationships are monogamous and a minority of people participate in multi-partner relationships or consensual non-monogamy. But if we think about it, um, when we say people are monogamous, I really want to understand i'm curious to understand what we actually mean by that because when we look at the statistics of relationships in most countries a lot of people who say that they are in monogamous relationships and identify as monogamous in fact participate in infidelity which is not monogamy so the question that i would like to pose is is the choice between monogamy and consensual non-monogamy or consensual multi-partnered relationships or between infidelity and consensual non-monogamy. As I said, extramarital relationships and affairs are very common and uh, based on research, most estimates indicate that about 60% of men and about 45% of women report that, or at least they're willing to report that an affair has occurred sometime in their monogamous relationship. So when we say consensual monogamy, it doesn't include infidelity. And when we say consensual multi-partner relationship, it doesn't include infidelity. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that the percentage of people in a consensual monogamous relationship is much, much smaller than what most people think. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And really that difference is around 
being transparent, being honest and being open mm-hmm. about needs and desires and things that may or may not be acted on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So if we want to talk a bit about the structure of multi-partner relationships, because you know, lots of people may not be familiar with different types of relationship structures that exist or the options that may be available to them. First of all, what I mentioned to most of my clients is that you don't need to um, fit in in any of these ones that you know that are available. You can design your own relationship structure. Relationships are as diverse and as complex as the people who are in them. So don't feel restricted by this list that I'm going to um, share. Great. So here are some examples of relationship structures in multi-partner relationships. First of all, is a threesome. And this is probably the most well-known form of open relationship. And that's usually when a couple have sex with another individual. And this relationship is mainly centered around sex and the needs of the couple and their relationship is primary to the other person's needs. The next one is swinging. And this means that a couple engage only in casual sex with other people, usually other couples. Then we have polyamory. And this type of relationship is mainly centered around romance and longer term relationship arrangements. And polyamory in itself has many different forms. We have a primary secondary relationship structure, which means that the needs of the primary relationship are put before the needs of any other relationship. Then we have non-hierarchical structure, which means that no relationship has priority over the other, and partners can engage in multiple romantic or long-term relationships. Another one is solo polyamory. And that's where a person identifies as polyamorous and they individually make a decision about who they want to see and how they want to see them individually. And there are many other forms of polyamory as well, but these are just some examples. Beautiful. Thank you, Anissa. That was so well articulated. I think many of our listeners would have heard of those terms, but to kind of hear the nuances and the differences, but to also understand that you don't have to fit into any of them. You can, yeah, do it your own way as well. Absolutely. Why do you think that people are drawn to multi-partnered relationships? Is it for people that don't want to commit or can't commit to one person? Mm-hmm. So there are many reasons people engage in consensual non-monogamy or multi-partner relationships. And the most common reason that I have heard and I've read about in research is that it's just the way that I am. So for a lot of people, this is an orientation. It's an identity. Another reason is that when people are in a relationship which is not perfect in every single way, which is almost all relationships, basically. And they may have a super strong relationship with one another and don't want to end that relationship, but they may have other needs that can be met by someone else. And you know, this can 
take so many different forms, like sometimes one of the partners may be asexual or have very, very low libido. Um, maybe one of them wants to explore kink or BDSM or that, um, you know, one of the partners may have a new awareness of their sexual orientation, bisexuality or pansexuality. These are some of the reasons why people decide to um, either try or engage in multi-partner relationships. Yeah, they all sound really, you know, valid, important reasons and how wonderful to be able to say as a couple we love each other but perhaps there's not every need being met. We can stay together but also, um, yeah, make sure that each person has those needs met and is satisfied. Yeah, yeah. Must take a lot of courage to be able to open up in that way and talk about things like that. And um, the big topic, I guess, would be jealousy and these types of feelings coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, being able to have honest and transparent conversations with one another. And, you know, when the relationship is based on a foundation of trust, obviously all these conversations are much easier um, than when, when there are issues. And I can talk a little bit later about what are some reasons that are not good reasons to open your relationship. And, and one of them is that, you know, if you're experiencing problems in your relationship and you just want to open it so that, you know, uh, you want to spice it up. But yeah, yeah jealousy, I think it's a really good um, topic when it comes to multi-partner relationships because, again, there is a myth about polyamory or multi-partner relationships is that people who engage in uh, or the structure of the relationship is multi-partner don't experience jealousy. So the, the reality is that they do. They absolutely do experience jealousy because they're people and jealousy is uh, as a human emotion. And as a therapist, one of the things that I do I help people work with the jealousy that they experience, uh, regardless of their relationship structure, whether they're monogamous or multi-partner relationships. But I think what helps people in multi-partner relationships a lot of the time when they experience jealousy is to think of it as, um, as just an emotion. It, just like we think of anxiety for example or some other difficult emotion as just the human emotion and i think right now we have a better understanding that um for example anxiety is just something that you you would experience in your life as a human being okay um so you shouldn't really be scared of it but you should have some strategies to regulate it and to manage it when it does come up for you and sometimes, you know, we may set up our life in a way that um, reduces anxiety, uh, or sometimes we inevitably live in, in a way that uh, we experience a lot of anxiety. But what is helpful is just to acknowledge that it does exist and then have some ways to, to manage it. And so I think that it's the same with um, jealousy, just acknowledging that a human emotion 
and finding ways to regulate it when it does come up for you. You are listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with me, Ella Shannon, a show about sex, relationships, and everything in between. Most of us have not been encouraged or taught how to talk about sex. They are curious. Hang on a sec. I'm a woman. Like, I have needs now. Whole new level of sensation and pleasure. I looked at my yoni before and after and mm. I was like, oh my God. You may experience a range of emotions. What we associate as being related to one gender or another, it changes all the time. Pleasure is our birthright. You're on these massive doses of steroids. I look like Bert Newton. I wouldn't have been attracted to myself. <laughs> so they were just so happy to know that A, they weren't alone, and B, that this was like a legitimate thing. And that actually sounds really lovely and erotic, really pleasurable. It's a secret. Mind blowing. curious if you could give us a couple of tips that perhaps work for some of your clients to help them regulate those feelings of jealousy acknowledging that yeah. it's not necessarily bad to feel it or it means that something's wrong but just that it will come up sometimes i think at its core jealousy is anxiety so when we feel in this context when we feel jealous that a partner is with someone else having fun we have the anxiety or fear of losing them yeah. Or that, you know, we may not be priority or, or um, you know, we may feel ne- potentially be neglected in the relationship. And so there is a difference between feeling a bit anxious or a bit jealous and being triggered. And that is when, um, you know, we may have had an experience of trauma of whatever kind in our life, either in a relationship or from our childhood with our parents the way that you know, we have developed attachments to our primary caregivers in our childhood. And then when our partner um, does something and it may trigger or that situation may trigger feelings of unsafety, a feeling like um, that there is a perceived threat in our life. And I just wanted to distinguish that there's a difference there. And so when, if you feel triggered, if you feel that, you know, it's just so out of your control, the emotions that you're feeling, you feel unsafe in the relationship emotionally, then that's a different story and it needs to be managed differently. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for that differentiation. Yeah. Sure. Now, talking about regulation, um, I do have some tips um, for just general regulation and I think that goes with any sort of difficult emotion that we may be experiencing in life but in particular with anxiety and jealousy and this uh, finding ways for self-regulation because a lot of the times what we do when we feel a bit um, unsettled or anxious or stressed in life we go to another person we talk to them we may reach out for a hug or do something with one of our loved ones, which is co-regulating and can be wonderful when it's available. But when it comes to jealousy, we need to have the ability to self-regulate. And that means being able to do something for ourselves that is nurturing 
and is soothing. That could be some physical activities that we may do, like you know, taking a hot bath, um, going for a run, going for a beach walk, or any other activities like painting or yoga or meditation that we can do individually to regulate our emotions. So I'm curious to hear about what are some of the best parts of ethical non-monogamy or consensual non-monogamy and then what are some of the challenges? So multi-partner relationships have the same joys and the same challenges of monogamous relationships. Hmm. They can be incredibly rewarding. They can be fulfilling and fun and can be a source of anxiety, source of stress and hurt. So it's not really the structure of the relationship that determines the level of happiness and fulfillment that we experience, but really the quality of that relationship or those relationships that we have. Hmm. And so we can have a chat about the skills and the qualities that you need to have in order to experience satisfying relationships. Mm, that's lovely to hear that it's really about being, you know, a good partner to one or more. It's not that it it changes anything, especially um, if it is open to more than than one person. Yeah. Okay. What about if there's couples listening that um, have been monogamous, but they'd really like to open their relationship up in some way? Do you have any advice for taking that leap? So I think it's important, first of all, to figure out what you want as a person, as an individual, and then as a couple, and why you want it. But this is important because sometimes people, uh, as I said earlier, they either go ahead with it because they're afraid to lose their partner. For example, I have worked with people with people that one of the partners really wanted to open the relationship and the other one, out of the fear of losing their partner, agreed to this, mm. this arrangement. And this can end up in very difficult and even disastrous situations mm. where the couple and other people involved can um, get terribly hurt. But sometimes a couple want to open up their relationship because the relationship is not working and they hope that if they quote unquote spice things up, it can save the relationship. And um, this view comes from this place that we have a problem, that we don't know how to solve it ourselves, so we're going to create a pressure relief valve so that it will make it easier for us to be in a relationship with one another. Mm. But in reality, what open relationships do offer is more opportunities for conflict with more people. So if you have trouble communicating or dealing with conflict, open relationships are just going to make that exponentially worse. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but open relationships can offer a lot of opportunities for growth, mm. for love and fulfillment, as we said earlier but they're not a fix for dysfunctional relationships. Yeah. So if this resonates with some of the listeners, some of you, I suggest that you see a qualified psychologist or a couple therapist to resolve those issues before pursuing 
occupy some relationship. Yeah, wonderful advice. Yeah. And, Anissa, before we finish up, I'm curious as to hear if there's any books or resources that you could recommend for people out there that want to know more. Sure, there are a few books that um, I think are very well written and, um, and I recommend them. One is called Polyamory by Martha Calpe. The other one is Polysecure by Jessica Fern. And the third one is The Ethical Slut by Dossie Easton. Wonderful. Thank you. And if our listeners wanted to um, find out more about you, where would they go? Sure. My website is relatesexology.com. And my email address is anisa at relatesexology.com. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you and, yeah, super interesting just to hear that so, yeah, just calmly articulated in a way that I think people will really connect to and spark a lot of curiosity. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with Ella Shannon. We're feeling juicy the whole day. Every desire I could possibly think of. What sort of impact would it have? They want it, they're going to go and get it. They don't think of long-term consequences. Oh, did that feel really nice? Oh, yes, that felt really delicious. Being able to feel good about my body again, that's been a huge thing. All anybody really wants in this world is to feel seen and heard. We actually do have a lot that connects us physically. It's making people feel good. There is a real sense of hopefulness that returns in a relationship. A really beautiful thing. Take that beauty and that calmness and that bliss and that sense of peace out into the world. Thank you for listening and I hope we've inspired you with our juicy conversations on this episode of The Evolution of Intimacy. If you would like to go deeper, you can book a session of relationship counselling, sex therapy or individual counselling via my website. I work in person in Cairns, tropical far north Queensland or I can meet you online anywhere in the world. Or you might prefer to go at your own pace with my 12-lesson relationship and intimacy online course. To book or to listen to previous episodes, visit my website, ellashannon.com or follow me on the socials at Evolution of Intimacy. Finally, please go to iTunes and write me a quick review if you're feeling kind. Thank you, lovelies, and see you next time. This podcast was produced and recorded in the studios of Cairns FM 89.1.